Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. My name is Nick Bancroft. I am the worship pastor here. And one of my jobs and duties is to oversee the music for Sunday morning. And with that, I am privileged to speak uh, today as we kick off our new Christmas series, as we take a deep dive into the meaning and the theology of several of our favorite Christmas songs. Before we get into that, though, I have to offer a confession. I hate Christmas music. Okay, maybe that was too, maybe that was too harsh. Uh, I strongly dislike Christmas music a lot. Anyone else? Does any, is it just me? Just me. Uh, that's okay. There was one person in the first service. Uh, that's, that's okay. Uh, I know a lot of you have already checked out. You're not going to listen to a single thing else that I have to say, uh, and that's probably fair. Uh, there are some of you who are probably thinking uh, nasty names about me in your head, uh, like Scrooge or uh, Grinch, um, and I can assure you that it's nothing that I haven't already heard, uh, especially from my fellow staff members and their families. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm used to it. Um, I don't want to get confused, though. I don't hate Christmas. I like Christmas a lot. The whole season is pretty great, e- except for most of the music. I, I, can, I can take that uh, and, and pretty much leave that. Let me, let me try to explain, if I can. Uh, my dad is a mu- music minister as well, and he's been doing the job for 40 years or so. And so one of his responsibilities is, was to lead the annual Christmas production at our church. Uh, very similar to the singing Christmas tree that we did for, he- for here for years. Um, and so if you have ever been a part of that or a production like that, you know just the immense amount of time and, and, and work that goes into that. And so in order to pull off a massive production uh, the 1st of December, you need to be practicing, you know, starting in August. And in order to start in August, you have to have music picked out, say, the beginning of August. Well, in order for that music to be picked out, you have to listen and scout and try to find new arrangements before then. So about the time that summer vacation rolls around and ends, our car rides and our home starts filling up with Christmas music as Dad starts scouting and preparing uh, the new music for uh, the production. Uh, somewhere Ron Merkel is nodding furiously. He, he knows the struggle. Uh, and, and so this has been my life for as, as far back as I can remember. And because I was, in part, I was in the band, so I also have to go through all of the rehearsals and practice the music in order to perform it as well. Uh, and this happens every single year. So my Christmas music scars go, go way back. It's true. I, I break Christmas, down, Christmas music into two categories, though. Over here, you have the sacred Christmas music. This is the songs we sing at church. This is either to Jesus or for Jesus or focuses on the birth event. And then over here, you have everything else. This is uh, anything with like Frosty and Santa and sleigh bells and baby, it's cold outside. Uh, <laughs> there's one about some chestnuts for some reason. And we have our yearly appearance by Mariah Carey. Uh, what could we do without her? All of this, I'm good on. I'm hard pass on 
all of it. This, this is a personal preference. This is not a biblical sound. This is not a biblical doctrine. This is a personal preference. I am good. And over here on the, the sacred music side of things, there's, I don't know, eight to 12 songs. And they're generally about the same songs we sing every year. Um, and uh, I can dig on some of like the really cool creative arrangements of things. Um, things like from Pentatonics or Trans-Siberian Orchestra, love those, love the creativity. But they don't really lend themselves well for congregational singing. They're really hard to sing. So we, we tend to stick to the tried and true, the simple arrangements, so we can, so we can sing them. Uh, and that's, that's a good thing. But I do have some questions about them. For example, we sing We Three Kings. Are we sure there were three kings? Like, the Bible says there were three gifts, um, but it doesn't tell us how many gift givers. And it, they weren't kings, they were magi, which is kind of like an astronomer. And none of it ever happened at Christmas time. So you can adup- update your nativity sets at home uh, when, you, when you get home. You have, uh, Mary, did you know? Well, yeah, right? Didn't the, didn't the angel come to her in and, and, and Luke chapter 1 and, and told her the things that her son would do? Maybe not a checklist exactly, but enough of an idea. Uh, you have um, also several songs uh, that talk about the, the quiet and the still and the peaceful nature of that evening. Again, are, are we sure? Like, wasn't there a once-in-a-lifetime census that was going on and everyone had to go to their hometown to be registered? And then when Mary and Joseph got there, it was so busy there wasn't enough room for them. They, they, they stuck them with the, the animals outside. Doesn't quite sound quiet or peaceful to me. Um, you have other songs that are just flat out wrong. Like, who thinks it's a good idea to play a drum solo around a baby? What are we doing here? Did, did no one check with, with Mary or Joseph at, at all on this? Uh, and, and then there are some that are theologically uh, questionable. Um, away in a manger, for, for instance. Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Do you guys know of any baby that doesn't cry? It, it, it almost has a hint of denying the humanness of Jesus. Again, the, just questions that I have. And these are little things. These are, these are not major issues for the most part. Uh, just questions that I have as we go through and we pick music that we are going to sing. Um, most of this stuff I can overlook. Like, it's not really a huge deal. I'm not trying to pick a fight about Christmas music. Uh, most of it I can overlook. Uh, and most of these songs, they focus on the birth event. And here's where my issue is. They stay there. They stay at the birth event. There's little explanation to why Jesus had to come. And there's little explanation to the big picture of things. And so we get plenty of perspective of the shepherds. We hear and see what the angels are doing and the cattle and the livestock. We get enough of them. And a lot of these songs that talk about the peace, they capture the moment and the sentimentality of, of the peace that Jesus is going to bring with us, even if that night wasn't exactly peaceful. And that's all well and good. Focusing on the birth without focusing on his death, is incomplete. Singing about the first coming without linking it to the second coming is missing something. A lot of these songs on their own 
can feel inadequate. Now, there are some great things about Christmas music. You can walk anywhere this season through a a mall or to a restaurant, and you will hear Christmas music. And in that Christmas music is the story of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is never played in restaurants for the other 11 months, but you will find words like God and sinners reconciled as you're sitting there eating your dinner. Um, You can watch any movie on Hallmark. Invariably, you go turn on a show today, and there's a children's choir singing joy to the world. It's in every one of the movies. Christmas music infects our non-Christian culture arguably more than anything else. And, and I truly believe that this is a good thing. Uh, raise your hand if your favorite uh, non-Christian band has put out a Christmas album or two. Right? This, everyone. Uh, and there's money to be made there. But there's also some truth there that they're singing about Jesus to an audience that needs to hear about Jesus. And Christmas music in that regard is really powerful. And even I, the, the Grinch himself, can agree that, the, that there are several really, really good Christmas songs that we need to sing and that we should sing. Uh, for instance, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, Dale is going to look, uh, look more into this song next week as he preaches. But every verse, just chock full of theology, New Testament and Old, it's really good. You have, O Holy Night, first verse talks about our sin and why Jesus needed to come in the first place. And the second verse gives us instructions on how to live out the gospel. You have songs like, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Man, that's really good. Uh, Joy to the World. Not really a Christmas song, but we're going to count it. These are good songs that we need to sing, that we should continue to sing, and that we will continue to sing. And then today, we're going to look at one of my favorites, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, Before we do, allow me to pray. Father God, open our eyes to see you in the lyrics of the song today. Open our minds to have a better understanding of you and what you came to do. Open our hearts to be changed by you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Before we dive into the song, I want to give a a quick musical history background to it. Uh, This is probably the oldest song that we sing. It's about 1,200 years old. That's really old. And it was originally designed for choirs to kind of sing back and forth to each other. Um, It it came to its like final... uh, final version of the song translated into English in about 1861. And so as you can imagine from 1,200 years, there are a lot of changes that happened with it. And so you will see different spelling changes. You will see different word changes. And depending on which denomination you grew up in or which hymnal you sang out of, you will have some or all of the verses or some of the words are going to be a little bit different. And that's okay. Um, It was originally written in Latin and each of the verses focuses on a title of Christ. So, for instance, the first verse, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's the title of Christ that we're looking at. So each of the seven verses have one of these titles of Christ. And then that verse is followed by a refrain. The refrain acts sort of like our modern courses do, and you kind of go back to it throughout the song. In this case, it was intended that you would sing the verse 
and then the refrain, and, and the weight of the verse would carry through the refrain. Well, then you'd get to the next verse, and now you've had this added weight on top of it. And so you'd have this repeated uh, weight that's added on to the refrain. But so by the time you get to the last refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you, you are carrying the weight of all seven of these verses. That's the intended design of it. One thing that I found as I was researching this song that I didn't know about, uh, each of those titles of Christ, they form this reverse acrostic, arrow cross, uh, which literally means, I shall be with you tomorrow. So the lyrics are, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're pleading for God to come and be with us. And in the text, he says, Emmanuel shall come to be with us. But it's like a poem within a poem and layers upon layers that underneath all of that is the subtext of God already saying, I shall be with you tomorrow. So cool how, that, how that's done. We're going to be looking at three verses today. Uh, not all seven. Uh, we don't have enough time for that. Uh, we're looking at three verses today. And I would like to play uh, the song for you to kind of get it back into our heads um, and get the tune back in our heads. Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. I hear words like ransom and captive and mourns and exile, and it really just puts me into the Christmas spirit, you know? There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a yearning there. There's a longing. There's an anticipation that we are craving. Uh, and the music does a really good job of matching the lyrics. It's written in a minor key, and it feels so unresolved, unsettled. And it's just a great marriage of lyrics and melody. Let's look at verse 1. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. We need to go back in our story, back to the Old Testament, back to where the Israelites are in slavery from Egypt. And so they were there for 400 years, and they're calling out, crying for God, God, come save us. And he promised that he would, and he did. So Moses, 10 plagues, parting of the sea, led them out to the desert um, on their way to the promised land. And so they get to the desert and they promptly start complaining and they lose their trust in God. God rescued them and they're like, nah, it's not quite good enough. And so God makes them wait another 40 years. So 400 years in slavery, another 40 years wandering around the desert. But God promised them the promised land. And he remembered his promise and led them to it. And things were good. 
and they lasted for a little while until their sin and their idolatry and their rebellion led them back into exile. And so at this point, the kingdom is split in two, attacked from enemies from the north and from the south, and Israel finds itself in captivity once again, this time in Babylon. And they're calling out for God once again to redeem them and to rescue them and to send them back to their promised land. The faithful among them, though, were not just crawling out for their land back. They didn't just want their home back. They really wanted God to be with them. They needed God's presence among them. And you can hear their plea in the words, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Not all that different than what we sang earlier. O God, O God, I need you. And God promised that he would. And so in the midst of this, God sends his prophet Isaiah. It says, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel spelled with either an I or an E. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. It means God with us. And not in a figurative or, or symbolic sense, but in a literal, physical sense real sense. God was going to be with them in the fullest sense possible. Jesus reunites man and God. What separates us, Jesus came to reunite. It's the thing that the humans have, craving, have been craving since the very beginning, from Adam and Eve in, in the garden when they were separated from God. You see it in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. They had a room for God's presence to reside. They wanted God to be with them. And we crave it now, and we'll see it in the ultimate things at the end of Revelation, where we want God to be with us. And God wants to dwell with his people. And Christianity is the only religion where God wants to do things for his people. He wants to be with his people. Other religions, have, we have to do things for God. Christianity, God does things for his people. And he does this in the fullest, deepest possible relationship, in the most loving, heavenly reunion. And Jesus reunites man and God. God is with us, Emmanuel. Next line, we see Jesus as the ransom for our sins. Uh, The ransom is a price paid for the release of a prisoner. You see this in movies where the kidnapper comes and takes the child and leaves behind a note. If you want to see your kid again, you'll pay X amount of dollars. Well, in this case, Jesus doesn't come to pay our ransom with money. He comes to pay his life for ours. Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The same thing in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And this has been witnessed at the proper time. And so Christmas time comes. And we often sing these happy, feel-good songs. We need the reminder that Jesus didn't come to just show us how to be happy. 
He didn't come to just show us a loving way to live. He came to pay the price for our sins. That broken part that's inside of you, the very thing that's keeping you from God, Jesus comes to fix that, to restore it, to pay for our sin. Jesus is the ransom for our sin, our mediator, the only way for God to be with us. Next line, ransom captive Israel. And we can look at this two ways. Either one, we can sing it historically, as if we are in the minds of a first century Jewish person calling out. Or the way I I prefer to view it is Israel. Us, we, we are Israel. It says we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And so we are grafted into Israel. The collective Israel is calling out. We are calling out. That mourns in lonely exile here. It's such a pretty picture. God, we are alone. We are apart from you. We are in exile. But when you come, we will be lonely no more. You are Emmanuel, God with us. When the Son of God appears to us, that loneliness ends. That exile ends. That being apart from God ends. And so we move to the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. The way we sing this kind of has an idea of like Emmanuel is rejoicing, but it should read like rejoice, rejoice, period. Line break. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. It's the answer to our plea. We ask for God to come, and he answers, I shall come to you. Verse 2. After the days of the prophet Isaiah, a hundred years have passed, and little has seemingly happened to the Israelites' mourning. So they're still in exile in Babylon, and Cyrus, the Persian king, has finally permitted Israel permission to go back to their land. And so they did, and they follow this Exodus-like journey back to the land of their forefathers. But things weren't exactly like they wanted. They had physically returned, but they remained in spiritual exile. And so they had longed for God to dwell among them, not just for their land back. In fact, it says, when they rebuilt their temple, they wept instead of rejoiced. Remember the sad little piano theme? You almost have that going on here. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. We fast forward in our story to the New Testament. And so right before the birth of Jesus, John the Baptist is born and his father, Zechariah, he prophesies of the coming Messiah. Luke chapter 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness 
in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Of note, I switched to the, the King James Version here because this is where the English version of the song pulls its word from. Um, the word we're looking at is dayspring. And so Zechariah compares the coming Messiah, the descendant of David, the one who was going to deliver Israel from her enemies, the one who would be righteous, the one who would bring forgiveness of sins. He compares Jesus to light, to sunrise, or to use a more archaic term, dayspring. And it's that moment when the sun first comes over the horizon and the darkness is turned to light. Or you're in a pitch black room and you, you turn on a candle and the whole room fills up with light. This is the idea that we're trying to get across. And since we need that light to arrive, we know that we are in darkness. And this darkness is clearly bad. The clouds that we're singing about are not some fresh spring rain clouds. They're harbingers of gloom and depression. And the shadows are not only scary because they're unknown, uh, but they are shadows of death. And they are fast approaching. And so Zechariah compares the coming Messiah to the rising sun lighting the world. And we see this echoed in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is that light. Jesus is our day spring. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits bind thy advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Translation, our spirits, our souls, which are filled with longing, they're cheered, they're made happy, they're encouraged, they're overjoyed simply by his arrival, by his coming, by his advent. The clouds of night are, are dispersed. Death's dark shadows are sent out. Jesus, by the very nature of what he came to do, has taken away the sting of death completely. He has tr transformed death from loss into gain, from punishment into reward from hopelessness to victory. He removes the darkness and he gives us light. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to you, O Israel. Verse three. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease, and fill the worlds with heaven's peace. And this is usually the last verse that we sing. It, it's a culmination of all the ideas, it, again, carrying that weight as we move through it. And here we are, we're talking about Jesus, the king, the king of all, the king of all nations. And we are bidding him to come and bind in one the hearts of all mankind. This has real strong second coming vibes. 
but it's the very thing that Jesus comes to do as he enters into our lives today. When he comes into your life, he binds together your heart with his. You are one. And he brings love into your heart. And as the Messiah for all, he brings together all people, not just the Jews. Daniel 7, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The nature of his kingdom is unity, that we will be as one. And so when he comes, all envy and strife and quarrels cease. Jesus comes to bring peace. Every angry or bitter disagreement, every fight, every source of conflict, he brings with him true camaraderie into all people, and he brings it all together. He gives us a sense of cooperation and agreement, and he helps us accept one another's differences, and he makes those differences work for the good of the kingdom. John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Do you see a picture of who God is? Oneness and unity. God is love. And God wants us to emphasize that love to each other, to all mankind, to all nations. And if we don't emphasize love in our behaviors and the way we think, then I think we're misunderstanding who God is and what he wants us to do. And this is practically in living out the Christian life. If you are in Christ and I am in Christ, then how can I be divided against you? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oh man, that sounds great. God, won't you come and be with us and unite us and make us one? And God promised that he would. And so we sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. And whether all of those things happen now, and it doesn't really sound like all those things have happened now, we wait for the final return of Christ, where all those things will happen. All the realities that we just sang about, we just studied about, that we talked about, 
they're going to happen in the fullness of the realization of Christ in the second coming. That's when that, those things will most fully take place. There will be love and fellowship and oneness and health and life. And we will be experiencing life to the fullness for what God intends for us. God and us together. God with us. Emmanuel. And we look forward to that day. Until then, Jesus has given us a way to remember that he is with us now. And that he has promised to be with us again. If you would, take out your communion. In a moment, we're going to have a, a time to reflect and, and, and a moment to sit in silence and take these together. So just hold them for one moment. He took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, drink all of it. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which has been poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. And when we take this bread and cup, we're reminded of how he has already rescued us. He has rescued us out of exile. He has rescued us out of our sin. And he has promised that he will be with us and will be with us again. And this is our reminder. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you. Israel. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.